On now? Yep. Okay. Okay, if you'll stand with me this morning as we read of the word of the Lord to us this morning in Romans chapter 15. Verses 14 through 32. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again. Because of the grace that was given to me, given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest to the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Elicrum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been permitted from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles had shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Father, I pray that we too would be driven with a passion for the gospel, that we too, like Paul, would seek to preach your name wherever we go, that we would not ignore the gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given us, but that through the power of your Spirit, we would share the good news in every corner of the world that we live, 
We thank you, Father, and I pray you would give us courage as we listen to Paul's explanation of God's power in his life. In Jesus' name, Lord, I need your help. Amen. This passage is not necessarily exhortation because this is Paul's ending to the letter of Romans. And so we kind of looked at this a little bit when we started this book back last September. So it's been well over a year, um, a little bit over a year anyways. And we actually looked at some of these passages. But I think it's important for us as Christians to realize that Paul has it in this order. He, he, when he gets to this section, it's a large section. We're not going to be breaking it down like we've done some parts of Romans. But we want to understand what it is that Paul is, has been doing. Why he wrote the letter the way he did. Why it was so important to him to send this letter to them. And I believe that the reason Paul wrote this letter is found right here. And the reason and the title of this message is, The Gospel is Paul's All-Consuming Passion. The Gospel is Paul's All-Consuming Passion. And we're going to see that, I think, this morning. If you think about people who have given their life for Christ, there's one example that reminds me a lot of Paul. And that is the example of Jim Elliott and the men who died with him on the beaches there in Shell Mara in um, Ecuador. These men had a passion to ha- hear, have the gospel preached among a people who didn't and had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, what did they do? They actually went to this place. They took their families and they began to learn this language that had no, hadn't been written. It was only a spoken oral language. And they began to learn that language and started sending messages and dropping gifts at the villages to try to get the trust of the people because they were a warring, barbaric tribe. And to guard their gospel and the fact that they wanted to share the gospel and not their view of the world... When they went, finally, to try to meet up with them on this beach there in the jungles of Ecuador, they had actually weapons. They had a gun. But they committed that they would not shoot one of these men or anyone if they came at them because they knew where they were going to go. But they didn't know where these men would go if they were killed. And it's interesting, that commitment cost them their physical lives. 
because they would not shoot these men when they came in because of a lie. A lie had been spread about them by this man who was jealous in the tribe. And so they came and they killed them. But interestingly, later on, if you've ever read the book by Nate Saint, you find out that in the book, The End of the Spear, that there were visions. The tribesmen actually saw angels round about that um, that beach. And they said that the faces of these men shone like angels as they were dying. And... I can't think of a better way to go. Yeah, it's not necessarily the way you want to go, but the joy of the Lord. And they also said that when they saw these angels, they heard singing. What a glorious way to spend your life. Many people, after the fact got on to Jim Elliott and and his friends and saying, you were so rash and reckless and you should have taken more precaution. But that's the reason they didn't tell anyone what they were doing because they saw the need to reach these people with the gospel. And guess what? It didn't end there. His wife and his sister moved in with the tribe and almost all of them became Christians. Because of that example on that beach that day, that commitment to the gospel as the power to save, they saw this whole tribe that had nearly wiped itself off with warring with one another and revenge killing come to Christ. And not long ago, the last remaining member of that group that killed Jim Elliott went on to be with the Lord. And but it's interesting we think of stories like Jim Elliott and that's a story that very few of us have maybe we haven't heard the whole story but many of us have heard of him and his love for the Lord. And his story has affected missionaries and the mission of God throughout the world for since that happened. Um, but that's what Paul, he is driven by a passion to serve the Lord. And we're going to see that this morning. And that's why I, I relate that story. So in verse 14... Paul begins his explanation for why he's writing the letter. And he he starts it off with a kind of a precursor like, I don't want you to think that I think you're immature or you're a a church that's struggling. Right? Because that's what he said. He says, Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of, of goodness, 
filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. So he's saying, I know that what God has done in your church. I've seen the strength of your church. I know also that you're filled with all knowledge. So I know that you have knowledge of everything that I've already said. The Spirit has already made that clear to you. And not only that, not only do you have knowledge and and you are living a holy life, you're able to admonish one another or instruct one another. It's not like I have to do that. That's what Paul's saying. So that's not the reason I wrote this letter. What is a part of the reason? Well, verse 15 gives us, but I have written very boldly, So he's saying, yes, I've been very instrumental, very um, adamant with the things that I've said on some things because I wanted to remind you again. It's a reminder. It's not a, oh, I absolutely see these problems, even though we do see, we just finished a section on love. Paul saw some issues where the church in Rome weren't loving one another in a a godly manner. But if you read his epistles to churches like Corinth and Galatia, he is pretty strong. He is rebuking them. But here in Romans, it is more a... He's laying out, as we saw, he's laying out his doctrine in the first 11 chapters... And then, in verse 12, he says, In light of this doctrine, live this way, and it should affect the way you love one another, the way you live the Christian life. And so he has written this letter as a reminder to them, but also, and most importantly, and when we get there, is to call upon them to support him in the gospel. Because, so at the end of verse 15, he said to remind you again, and and you may say, well, Paul, you didn't found the church in Rome. What makes you feel like you can remind or admonish them? Because that's what he's been doing, right? He's been admonishing them, which he says that they are able to do to, to one another. Well, I think he answers it right here. He says, because of the grace that was given me from God, or can be translated by God. And what was that grace? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Or the word there, Gentiles, is the nations. Everyone but Jews. That is his all-encompassing call. And that word minister is a word that is generally used to describe a priest. Which is interesting because right after that he says, I am ministering as a priest the gospel of God. So I don't think it's an accident that Paul uses a word that is often translated priest to describe his calling. 
So what is his calling as a priest? To minister the gospel of God. His calling is to preach the gospel. That is what Paul is all about. But it's not just that. We'll find out there in verse 21 or 20 that it's to preach Christ where it has not been preached. But, so Paul is saying, the authority that I have, the, the reason that I feel like I can admonish what you all, that I can even speak boldly to you all in the way that I have through this letter, is because Christ has called me to the nations, and that includes you, Rome. You are a Gentile city. There are Gentiles and Jews in that church. So I feel that I can, because of the grace that God has given me, admonish you to do this. And because of his priestly duty, you know, the Old Testament priests, what was their job? What was their main role? It was to minister the offerings, to sacrifice the lambs. Well, there's a lamb has already been sacrificed. So what now that there is no longer a need for lamb sacrifices or animal sacrifices, since there already has been a sacrifice, what can a priest now do? Share about that sacrifice. That sacrifice that has brought people to God. So the priest now of which we are a royal priesthood. We are priests to God. What is our calling? No matter whether you stand behind this pulpit or not, we all are called to be priests in sharing the gospel with the world because that is our calling. Every Christian Yes, Paul had a specific call on him as an apostle to evangelize among the nations. And so, what is the offering that Paul brings as a priest after sharing the gospel? What what does the gospel do? Remember, it reconciles people to God. What did Old Testament sacrifices do? They were a means by which God had made, pointing to Christ, of reconciling people to God. I hope we see this connection. Paul is not using this accidentally. So, what is the offering that God, that Paul is going to bring to God? Well, we see that. So that, so the purpose of him being a minister, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what's his offering to God? Souls. The souls of the nations. So his offering is what God brings through the gospel. The salvation of men and women.
But it's not something that he does. And we see that in verse 17. Paul realizes, as we should as Christians, that we cannot save a single soul. We can say all the right things. We can do all the right things. But it will not save someone. Don't believe me? This is what Paul says in verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting. Well, I thought boasting was wrong. No. Paul said, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting. Not in myself. Not in what I have done. But in Christ. And the things pertaining to God. And he explains himself in verse 8. Like, this is why I can do this. This is... This is the basis for being able to boast in Christ. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Christ in Him, the hope of glory, has gone out and shared the gospel and brought in an offering of Gentiles to God. It's not... Paul's ability that has brought this. It is the Spirit of God in him. If you want to see someone saved, you need the Spirit working in you. You can argue till you're blue in the face and good arguments and never see a soul saved. Because It is the Holy Spirit who regenerates the heart of men. Whether hard and wicked as you can imagine, or the the sweetest little granny that should never, that no one would suspect is a sinner. It doesn't matter. God alone can transform that heart. I've had a conversation one time with a Catholic woman in Guatemala, and she was convinced she had never sinned, ever. She was sweet about it. But she, there was nothing I could say, even quoting Scripture, she would not agree with. And I thought, wow, she's rejecting even the Word of God. And even, I know that I talk to gangsters and drug pushers in some of the areas that we talk to people. And those guys were more receptive to the gospel than that sweet little Catholic granny. She had rejected the gospel. But God could have touched her heart just as much through His Holy Spirit as he could touch the heart of a young, gun-slinging gangster in that same neighborhood. God is not dependent upon us, but He chooses chooses to use us like He used Paul as channels of mercy and grace. We are His servants...
to be poured out. He fills us with His Spirit, not so that we can hold it all to ourselves, but so that the Spirit can be poured out through us to the world to see their salvation. So what has been the result of God's work through Paul? Of Christ in Paul accomplishing his role? Because Paul is still arguing, I have authority because Christ has been working in and through me. That's why I I felt like I could write to you boldly. He says the result was in the obedience of Gentiles... And that's where he ended, right? Disobedience of Gentiles. No? Okay. He doesn't just say that. It's twofold. The obedience of Gentiles by word and deed. I don't think Paul says this accidentally. I think our culture today rejects this idea. Even the church does, oftentimes. We say, well, yeah, all you got to do is say a word and you're good. How many times have you heard that? Yeah, I made a decision 20 years ago, and their lives are not any different. Yeah, they may have cleaned up a little bit, but nothing has really changed. Because they haven't been obedient to God indeed as well. Or we can say the opposite. There are many people who, who say they've come to Christ and, and man, their, their life seems to be outwardly spiritual, but when they start to talk, the words that they say or the things that you see them doing don't necessarily line up with the word. They, they're saying things that show you that they're being legalistic. We see the spectrum here. If we aren't doing word and deed, if we're not obeying God in word and deed, we're either legalistic or all grace in the sense of no lifestyle to, you know, like Paul got, got on, you know, he answered the question, if it's all of grace, can I just sin? You know, doesn't that glorify God more? Never. No. That doesn't, that doesn't give us freedom. Why would we want to go back into slavery to sin? When God has delivered us, it will bring about obedience in our words and our actions. It is not one or the other. We don't have permission to only obey God in our words or only obey God in our deeds. It is both. And that is what Christ has done. He has brought about transformation of men so that they want to obey God in their words and their deeds. You can convince some people to follow Christ, but they won't stick with it if God does not change their hearts. Because unless God changes their wants and their desires, then eventually following Christ will not be 
valuable enough to continue. Because when persecution comes or difficulties come, there's a, I thought this was supposed to be a, a, a free ride to heaven, an easy road with no difficulties. And it's not. That doesn't mean that we don't enjoy God's presence, but it's not easy all the time. There are moments when the joy is easy to find, and there's other moments when it's difficult. And how did Christ accomplish this? We see how in verse 19. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. I didn't realize how much Joel 2 would tie into this passage until I started really digging into it. But Paul saw transformation of Christ in him through the power of Christ in him, bringing signs and wonders. The Spirit living in Him was doing signs and wonders. What? To prove that Christ was who He said and that the kingdom of heaven had come. That God could be trusted. The power of the Spirit had been used by God to show men that God was not only real, but that God could transform them. Because maybe they were that person, that druggie who was like, There's, I've tried every program. I've tried these programs and nothing seems to work. But then God showed him his power through the Spirit. And he saw, wow, God can do this. I can't do it, but God can do it. And so these men... You think drugs weren't a problem in Paul's day? Everything was just smooth sailing. Sex wasn't a problem. Yeah, those things were real then. Nothing new under the sun, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes. Just like today, we need the power of the Spirit to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. We need His power not only to transform our hearts, but to transform our lives. Because our minds have been trained to think like the world. Even as Christians, we have to be careful what we're allowing to be our influence. Because what you listen to Constantly will define what you believe. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be understanding of what's going on around us. But we need to be careful that what's going on around us doesn't define us. That Christ remains center. That, yeah, maybe we need to listen to a, a 20 minute news clip that tells you what's going on in the world. But, okay, I'm going to go back and listen to something else. I'm going to read my the Bible to, so that I know what God says about these things, how we can overcome these things in our lives. And how vast was the work of Christ in Paul? 
Well, Paul says, all the, the, through the power of the, the signs and wonders, the offering that he is bringing to Christ, to God, is from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Elikram. So, don't judge my drawing here. Again, this is not a great. So we have Jerusalem here. Elikram is all the way up here. So what Paul is saying is all this area, even up into there, I have preached the gospel. He says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Interestingly, he's done that, but he didn't just have crusades and leave. And I, I don't mean to offend anyone with, uh, what's his name? Billy Graham. Because I think he did have churches there seeking to disciple people at each place. But I, I don't know because I was pretty young when that actually came to Louisville. Anyways, but he was going in sharing the gospel, and we see that in the book of Acts, preaching the gospel, and he stayed for a while and discipled men and women, raised up pastors and elders, so that the church there could do the work of ministry. And he did that in every city that people got saved. We don't know what he means by as far as, like, was he up to the edges or actually in? But, because there, there actually isn't any um, account of that in the book of Acts. Like, how, how far his, his ministry went. But, Paul is not saying, I preach the gospel to every single person. He's saying, I preach in these places throughout... And then God is using the church to spread the good news. And God has done this. It's not me. Don't look at Paul. Paul did not save these people. Christ did. He used signs and wonders through the power of His Holy Spirit. He transformed these people. Yes, Paul was used by God because he was willing and obedient but Paul is nothing. We find that out elsewhere. Remember Paul said, I am still an unprofitable servant. I've just done what the Lord has asked me to do. I'm called as a priest of the gospel to minister the gospel I'm just doing that, and what joy. I, I can imagine as Paul's writing this letter, he's thinking about the joy of seeing the law saved, of seeing these people and, and imagining, just imagine with me 
what he must have been thinking about. Oh, yeah, remember that church? Oh, Antioch and oh, Corinth and Galatia and uh, Ephesus and and the people. I'm sure he he would have been thinking about the people there who had come to Christ. I'm sure joy and even tears of joy filled his eyes as he thought about this. Because he had seen the power of Christ. He had seen the power of the Spirit to transform lives. Not just of one person, but oftentimes of whole families. Why? Because the men became Christians and then their families followed suit. They saw, man, my husband is different. He actually loves me now. He actually cares for me. Or, my dad actually wants me to do well. Or, what name it. And here in verse 20, I feel like we see the real... This is Paul. And thus... I aspire to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was already named. So that I would not build on another man's foundation. So here, I think this is Paul. This is the point of this message, and I hope we get it. Thus, I aspire to preach the gospel. Paul aspired his ambition was to preach the gospel it should be ours i'm not saying from a pulpit necessarily but we should be willing and ready to share the gospel that's what preaching is it is and sharing a message the message of what christ has done on the cross for sinners so we after reading the book of Romans, should be compelled, like Paul, to preach the gospel. It should be our all-encompassing desire to preach the gospel. The next part is specifically for Paul. It may not apply to you or I. Because for Paul... He wanted to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named. He wanted to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named already. Why? Because he, he didn't want to build on another man's foundation. He wanted to start from scratch. And I think that that is where his specific calling was. We each have different callings from the Lord in our service to Him. Not everyone has this specific call to go to the unreached of the world, like Paul had. But the mixture, yes, he was ambitious to preach the gospel, but in specific places. Maybe... Your calling is to preach the gospel at a nursing home or at 
the grocery store when you go there or at the school when you're talking to your children's or grandchildren's teachers or maybe it's at the, the, the farm store when you go in to get your materials or the hardware store. Or maybe it's going door to door in neighborhoods around this church or maybe it's, you can name it. We're not exempt, but we have to ask God, Lord, I want to have a passion to declare the good news to my neighbors. And Lord, if, if that should extend even further, maybe, maybe a part of our gospel proclamation is supporting people who are preaching the good news all over the world. Maybe a part of our gospel proclamation is discipling new believers or supporting those who disciple new believers. But we all have a call to preach the good news. And how does Paul found his statement? He founds it on Isaiah when he says, But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. He's talking about Christ. Right? Those who have no news of Christ shall see Christ. And they who have not heard of Christ shall understand. This is Paul. He's saying, Christ in me will display who He is. And they will understand because Christ in me is the hope of glory. He is the one who will transform their hearts. This is Paul. This is who he is at his core. And I think we see that throughout his letters. His love for the church. His love for Christ. And his continued passion to see the gospel preached. We especially see it in his letter to Timothy. His kind of, as he calls him, his his spiritual son. A man he has discipled and seen grow up in Christ. So, this is who Paul is. He is preacher of the gospel where Christ has not been named. And for this reason, verse 22, I have often been prevented from coming to you. So Paul has had a desire, and we see that, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have been for many years a longing to come to you, that Paul, Paul's wanted to come to Rome, but his calling to Christ, his calling as a priest of the, to minister the gospel to all men has prevented him from going to Rome. He's wanted to go to Rome to visit the believers there, but his calling has kept him from doing it. Kept him from going. So Paul's giving his reasons. It hasn't been a selfish 
Oh yeah, I decided to go on vacation. You know, we went down to Cyprus and hung out on the beaches there. And uh, one day we went sightseeing at um, the ruins of Corinth. And oh wait, there weren't ruins then. Um, <laughs> anyways, Paul wasn't like, oh yeah, I've just been visiting these cities and doing some sightseeing. And no, he's been consumed with his passion. His passion for the gospel and the sharing of it have kept him from going to visit people he wants to see. But God has made it where that whole region, God has enabled him to share the good news there. And so, on to new places. So what is Paul's reason for writing the letter? It's about his passion for the gospel. But more specifically, we see here in verse 24, whenever I go to Spain. So Spain is what? On the other side of Rome. For those who are not so great with geography, you know who you are. If you get lost between here and Kroger... You may need some help with this geography, but maybe you don't. But that he had to pass through Rome to get to Spain. And so he's saying, look, this passion for the gospel and to name the name of Christ, to preach the gospel in a place where Christ has not been named, is going to take me to Spain. I believe God is sending me to Spain. So on my way to Spain... I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. So he's saying, I'm going to come through, but it's not going to be like a quick passing through. It's going to be, I'm going to spend some time with you. I, I want to spend some time with you. And I hope that you will help me along. And he's talking not about just prayer. He's talking about spiritual and physical support. He's hoping that the church in Rome would help him so that he can go to Spain. And so he's writing this letter as a, a treatise of his doctrine, like a, a, he wants them to know what he believes. And he wants them to know how that imply, how that affects their lives and affects the lives of believers so that they know that he is a true believer of Christ and that they can trust him with their support. So the book to the Romans, yes, it is a reminder, but it is also a petition for their support when he comes to visit them. But Paul is not writing this letter so that he can... Go live in the beautiful cities of Spain and enjoy himself. He's, he's writing this letter because the gospel of Jesus Christ consumes him. And his ambition is to preach the name of Jesus in Spain where no one has preached it yet. So... They may be wondering, well, Paul, why aren't you coming right now? Why didn't you just come here and tell us this in person? 
Well, in verse 25, we find out. Paul is telling us where he's writing, well, not necessarily where, but what his situation is. It says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. We read about these, if you, especially in the second book letter to, the, to Corinth, Paul talks a lot about asking the people at Corinth, which is in Macedonia, by the way, the region of Macedonia. Um, so he is seeking that they would help support the church in Jerusalem as well. Because he's saying, look, these other churches that have nothing are supporting the church in Jerusalem. You also should do this. And that is, a lot of people read the book of Corinthians out of context. Now I want to just show you an example of this. here and I've lost it. Oh, here it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that Always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. How many of you all have heard this verse used to say, well, God's just going to bless me and bless me and bless me so that I will be wealthy, in a sense. I'm just never going to have want. And I'm not saying that God doesn't do that, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. He is telling them, God is blessing you not so that you can hoard it to yourself. He's blessing it so you can bless the people in Jerusalem. He's using this to compel them to give, not grudgingly, as he says in the prior verse, but they're giving to God. So he, he, he is not using this verse for them to be like, oh yeah, God just going to bless me so that I can do everything I need to do. No, God is blessing them and he, he gives them all blessing so that they will be able to support the poor in Jerusalem. And you say, well, why are Christians in Jerusalem poor? What happened? They got kicked out of their families. When they became Christians, they were no longer allowed in the synagogue. They were kicked out of their families because you couldn't not be a part of the synagogue and be a part of your family. So you're completely repudiated and all the inheritance, let's say you're the firstborn, you were going to get that inheritance no more. Your sibling who is still a, a Jewish believer, an uh, uh, Orthodox Jew, 
is going to get that. Not you. Because you are no longer a part of that family. And so the Jews in Jerusalem have been cut off financially from their families. That doesn't mean that God isn't providing for them. He, he does. But one of the ways that Paul saw that God was going to supply for them was through the churches in the Gentile world. And interestingly, he says in verse 27, yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. Remember we talked about indebted to love? Well, in one way, they were indebted to financially care for the church in Jerusalem. Why? Well, he explains. They are indebted to minister to them for, he says, for if the Gentiles had shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister them also in material things. The church in Jerusalem, those who have left Jerusalem have been a part of raising up these churches. They've, they've supported Paul. Remember, they sent Paul out with their blessing. Well, their blessing included financial support. Financial means. Paul, yes, Paul also was making tents as he went to help provide, but he was receiving gifts from Jerusalem and teaching and, and encouragement. So they, the Gentiles, are indebted to them in the material things. Therefore, verse 28, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. So Paul's making plans. We don't know actually if Paul made it to Spain. Because there's no record of Paul going to Spain in the Scriptures. Other than this desire of Paul to go to Rome. Uh, to Spain. And some people believe he probably did, actually. And some people say, well, when he returned to Jerusalem with this money, that's when he was arrested. And then he went to Rome that way. Um, and he didn't. Others say, well, he, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He went to Rome. Maybe he was freed. He went to Spain, came back, and then was, was killed. Either way, it doesn't matter whether he made it to Spain or not. Because that's not it. God is in control. If he made it to Spain and people came to Christ, praise God. If he didn't, somebody did because they're Christians in Spain. There were Christians in Spain uh, not long after the death of the apostles. So we don't know how the gospel got there, but God did, does, and that's all that matters. Whether Paul made it or not, and it was through his witness in Christ that that happened. And Paul says this, he says, I know, verse 29, that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul is not, if he had come in verse 22, instead of fulfilling his call in the regions of current day Turkey and Greece, then he would have been 
not coming in the blessing of Christ. But because he has fulfilled his call there, and he's seeking to fulfill his call in Spain, he knows that going to Rome will not be something that's against God's will, but it will have his full blessing. So, verse 22 through through 29, we see Paul explaining why he hasn't come yet, and his desire to come, and why he's coming, and that he believes God is behind this. And finally, in verse 30 through 32, or 33, He asks them for prayer, and He blesses them. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. To strive. To fight with me. Get in the trenches with me. Let's fight, because the gospel needs to reach the world. Get in the trenches with me and fight because I need it. I cannot do this. And what does he specifically ask prayer for? What does he specifically ask them to fight with him for? Verse 31, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. What's he talking about? The Jews who have rejected the gospel. That's what he's talking about. The Jews who end up wanting to kill him, remember? In the book of Acts. So he's asking them to pray for him that when he goes to Judea and Jerusalem, he will be preserved from his enemies, those who want him dead. And, that's not it, and secondly, that my service for Jerusalem may be proved acceptable to the saints. That the gift that he brings, his the offering of the, the churches of Asia, which is Asia Minor, and Greece would be a blessing, and that the church in Jerusalem would receive it as acceptable. Why? Why does he want this to happen? So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Paul is looking forward to this visit to Rome. He's looking forward to it because he believes that when when he finishes in Jerusalem, that he's going to come to them in joy, praising God and and having this opportunity to be restful and, and experience time with them. It makes me think of when we used to have the seminars the joy that people would have when the singing happened and just fellowship because we enjoyed coming together because it was refreshing because the company was mutual because we all know the world around us is not like us. But when we would come together, it was like, oh, there are still people who serve the Lord. Yes, there are still some who are serving the Lord. And so that was such a a joyful time. And interestingly, when we did that, we were actually constantly preparing going into that. We were expecting not only God to move, but expecting good fellowship. 
And I know we're just a small group now, but we should expect that every week. We should be asking God to give us this joy that we would find our fellowship here refreshing. That our conversation would draw us closer to Christ. Because we need Him. And we need each other. And I pray that by God's mercy, God would use each of us to reach our neighbors, reach our co-workers, reach the teller at the bank or the, the lady at the gas pump or the cashier at whatever store you're shopping at. We are living in a time when many people have no hope. And they're looking for hope. They're looking everywhere but the right place. And when you come into their lives, it is very possible that God is sending you to that store. You think it's to get whatever. You, you, you go to that store like once in a lifetime. But... And you're going there because you've heard that they have this item and you want to get it. But God is actually sending you there for another purpose. To be open to the Spirit's leading because the Holy Spirit can transform those people's lives. Just like He's transformed your life. And if you haven't been transformed, cry out. Like we talked about last week. Call out to the Lord because He will save And as we close this morning, I pray that we see Paul's all-consuming passion for the gospel and for the Lord. And I pray that as we close, that this, that Paul says that in verse 33 would be true for each of us. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for men like Paul who have shown us what it means to give their lives in service to You. Lord, we're not all called to be just like Paul in the way that he fulfilled his call, but we all are called, Lord, to live our lives for You. And I pray that the gospel would consume us. That the sight of Christ and what He did on the cross for us would transform our love so that we would be compelled to reach out to the lost. Lord, it's so easy for myself to get caught up in the things that I need to do but Lord, I pray that you would help me to be a faithful witness in the places that I work, the people that I meet. Lord, that the peace and joy that we have in Christ would be evidence to the people that we encounter that something is different, that you have transformed us. So Lord, I pray this week that you would go with us, that you would 
Fill us afresh with Your Spirit. Give us a hunger and thirst for You. And that as we're hungering and thirsting for You, Your compassionate heart would fill us. And that we, like Paul, would be and seek and desire to to spread the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us. Or may your peace be with us this week, I pray. Amen.